circulating enough for you. And please be seated. <clears throat> and let me just pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the opportunity for us to be together. And Lord, we are pretty familiar with this passage of Scripture. We've read it. We've heard sermons on it. We may even have read books about it. And we've certainly quoted it probably to others or had it quoted to us. We pray this morning that you might take that which is potentially very familiar and give us a fresh insight or fresh understanding or a deeper understanding. We pray also you would give us uh, courage that we might accept your truth, your standards, your direction and that we might have the courage to deny ourselves and to follow your ways. Lord, this is a necessary and a difficult task. So we certainly need your help, your strength, and we pray that you would likewise give us wisdom and discernment, patience and grace. We are a needy people, and we need you. We're so grateful that you don't abandon us, but you come to us. So, Father, in your coming to us, we pray that you might speak to us now by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about a series, we're in a series, on um, what Jesus you know, thinks of the church, the church that the Lord Jesus is building. When you think about the church, or when you look at the church, what do you see? church Jesus is building is a church where he wants people to be able to see that it's a church filled with believers. Everybody is welcome. I've said this each week now. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited. But only those who repent and believe are included. And as we said before, there are commands for you then to start following. The first one is baptism. That's a command for you to follow. Last week we spoke about um, the Lord's Supper. Pastor David Daniels would have taught you that's a command and we are to try not to avoid it. There may be sometimes some circumstances, but that ought to be rare. We ought to bring ourselves to the Lord's table because we are reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. Now, this message flows on from that, that the church the Lord Jesus is building is one made up of believers. They're united and one. They celebrate the supper and they work at reconciliation. They work at keeping relationships intact. They take sin seriously is what I guess I could summarize it as. We are to take sin seriously this passage like many other passages, and this is not the only one is God's prescription for a healthy life healthy relationships this is God's directions on how we are to behave we are to love the sinner certainly but not the sin and when we come to deal with sin in a person's life then very gentle hands it's an art there are skills to learn and I haven't learned them all um, we certainly need, as I prayed, we need gentleness, you need wisdom, discernment, you need courage to be able to do this. And Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God and he is also the one now who gives us these instructions on how to be reconciled to a brother or a sister. So we're talking about that reconciliation, we're talking about conflict in relationships and, and uh, what do you do about it? And I would imagine that everybody here either has or is in conflict with someone. In fact, when I start talking about this, you probably thought of someone. And you might be trying to suppress it right now, saying, no, I don't want to think about them. Well, let me encourage you this morning, think about them. Pick the hard case. Pick the one that's the most difficult for you to deal with 
and listen to what Jesus has to say to you in that situation. And I'm going to be very honest with you this morning and simply begin by saying, um, I don't have all of this together either. Sometimes I do. And for those fleeting minutes, I'm okay. But then there are other times when this becomes real life. And let me also give you a warning. Because we're talking about conflict and reconciliation, in the next week or two weeks, in the next little future, something's going to happen. Someone's going to upset you, someone's going to hurt you, or you're going to upset someone and you're going to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, whatever it is, there's going to be conflict and you're going to get to practice these steps. So I apologise up front, but that's how God works. So I had a conflict this week. Um, I have conflict every week, just getting out of bed is a conflict. (laughs) Um, And I thought, that's typical of God, isn't it? puts me in a situation where there is some conflict and then guess what I have to talk about on Sunday? God has a way of growing us, doesn't he? Um, so who is it for you? Get him in, you're not reconciled to them yet, you know, you might be a bit disappointed in them, it's awkward, it's you're feeling the relationship is strained or it's that sort of person. Psychologists tell us that we, we're wired differently. Some of us have a natural propensity when there is a situation, a conflict, an awkward situation, some of us have a propensity to fight. We push back, we stand up, we become aggressive in return for what the person is doing to us. We might have a short fuse or a short wick or whatever, or whatever it is for us. That's fight. Others of us have a a flight capacity. Uh Uh-oh, conflict leaving. And we walk away, we escape, we avoid the situation. We don't want to face it, we don't want to deal with it, we feel uncomfortable with it, and we just wish it didn't happen, but it did happen, so now we're denying it. Some of us do that. And then there are some of us who don't leave, don't fight, we're fright, we're paralysed, we're scared and we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say. We are, that's our initial reaction. So I'm sure at some point in your life you've been hurt. Um, so imagine you're the person who has been hurt and you've come to me, no, I'll change that, don't come to me. Um, <laughs> You've been hurt in a situation and you come to this passage of Scripture and you want to listen to what the Lord Jesus wants to say to you. And hopefully if you did come to me, then I would say the same things to you. And hopefully if you go to an elder, a pastor in our church, or a respected godly person in the life of our church, they would say these similar sorts of things. Um, So that means in this passage Jesus is talking about, um, there are three sorts of people. There is the offender, person who did the wrong, There is the offended, the one who has been sinned against or offended or hurt. And then there is a third person, which is the mediator, whom Jesus gets onto, the one or two others that you take along. They know about the situation because they've either been counselling them or they're a confidant or something like that. Jesus has something to say into each of these people. Um, And I want to begin by also saying this, that this passage of Scripture, Matthew 18, 15, particularly 17, but 15 to 20, is not the only text that deals with conflict situations in the scriptures. This is not the only way to deal with it. In fact, this is a very specific way to deal with a very specific situation. And to apply it to other situations would be incorrect. It's not how you treat heretics in the life of the church. You don't go speak one-on-one and they don't listen to you and you take one or two others along and then you get to the church. You don't do that. The scriptures give us other directions when there is false teaching. It's much quicker. 
It's not how you deal with a person who was a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's not how you deal with somebody who has committed sexual abuse. And we don't ask the victims of sexual abuse to go speak to their perpetrator and confront them. That's not how we deal with it. This passage doesn't refer to those situations. It's not how we would deal with someone with domestic violence. In a church our size, I would be surprised if there wasn't someone somewhere who was the victim of it. When you deal with those situations, particularly sexual abuse and domestic violence, you'll hear me, I'll come to it in a moment, they're, they're crimes and they get dealt with in a different way. Um, so here is Jesus talking to his disciples. The whole chapter is about relationships and uh, how we should handle them and this is particularly one where there is a conflict. So here is the first thing Jesus says when you're in conflict with another believer. There are nine points there are really 12, but I made three of them subpoints, so it wouldn't sound like too many. Nine points. Number one, so nine questions, if you like. And I'm sorry they're not on the screen, um, so, you know, write them down. Send me an email and say, can you please give me those nine questions again? And you give me 20 bucks, and I'll give them to you. <laughs> I also need to acknowledge that, uh, as I've said, I wrestled with this passage, and it was only like in the last day and a bit uh, that I heard a sermon, particularly by Mark Driscoll, and uh, he, he st most of these questions are his, I've adapted them, I've modified them. Um, so this outline is really his and so I want to acknowledge that. Um, yeah. So question one. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, well, not point one. The phrase against you is not in, probably in the, the best manuscripts. It is in the old NIV, it was not in the new, latest, updated NIV. We're not talking about, though it includes it, Jesus is really saying, if you see a brother, another Christian, a brother or a sister, sin. Whether it's against you or against somebody else, if you see them sin, then this is what we are to do. And of course, if the sin is against you, it's the same process. But if it's not against you, this is still a process. Not the avoidance, oh, at least it wasn't me that they did that against. It's we have a responsibility for one another. So question one is... Are you both Christians? Jesus is talking about Christian to Christian conflict. He's not talking about Christian to non-Christian contact conflict. Nor is he talking about non-Christian and non-Christian conflict. This is not how you handle those situations. Because God is our Father, we've been adopted into his family. Therefore, we each have the Spirit. We each have the Scriptures. We each acknowledge Jesus as Lord. There is a level playing field that we can deal with here. So therefore, we are to treat one another like family. We're not enemies. We're out of sorts, we might be cranky with each other, or whatever it is, or hurt by one another, but we're family, and we are to treat each other as family. And we do, even in our human families, we treat family different, don't we? We treat family different to how we treat other people, don't we? Ooh, you're a sick lot. <laughs> the answer is we do. We're far more accepting and tolerant of our family. Uh, the way we fight with family is very different to how we fight with enemies on the outside. And Jesus is saying we are family. Now, just as a very quick aside, question one is, are they both Christians? Well, what if I'm a Christian and I'm in conflict with a non-Christian? Well, there's a whole other strategy for to deal with. Number one, the most important thing is you need to pray for them to get to be reconciled with God. That's more important than anything else, so pray accordingly. And you'll need to work through whether you need to ask very gently or challenge them about their behaviour. 
But as a Christian towards a non-Christian, a non-believer, and they're sinning, you need to be extending forgiveness and grace and patience and pray the Holy Spirit convicts them and pray for the opportunity to point them out. Um, it's not our role to go around, um, you know, confronting everybody we see doing wrong. That's not our role. But Jesus, well, in this passage, Jesus is talking about Christian to Christian. So it's more limited. Second question. Is it a sin? Did someone commit a sin? Whether it's against me, as I said before, or against somebody else, is there a sin? Not, is it annoying? Is it frustrating? Am I uncomfortable with it? It's none of those things. You know, some people are just odd and weird, aren't they? <clears throat> Shakespeare got it right. You've heard me quote this before. The whole world is strange. Except me and thee. But even thou art a little queer. We all have our, our idiosyncrasies. So we're not talking about uh, you're just simply frustrated with somebody, you're uncomfortable with them, or their behaviour, or their personality, they just rub you the wrong way, they're irritating. It's a sin. They have done something which is against God's word. They have violated the commands of scripture. I can show chapter and verse. You said or did this and the Bible says don't do that or vice versa. You're supposed to do this and you haven't. If I ignore their sin, then I am potentially disagreeing with God and I am being unloving to them. Now let me also say this. Jesus is talking about sin. He is not talking about crime. That's what I was saying before. If somebody commits a crime, then report it to the authorities. Don't cover it up, don't hide it. If someone's committing domestic violence, dob on them. Report it to the authorities. Come and tell me, I'll ring the police. If a person is found out with sexual abuse, report it to the authorities. Don't bring it into the church office and don't say, um, we need to extend forgiveness and we need to cover it up. No, the laws of the land have been broken and the authorities need to deal with it. The church in our history has sometimes made that mistake that we've covered things up that we ought not to have. We tried to deal with things in what we thought was a biblical way, but in fact, I think we've misunderstood the passage. If your brother sins, not commits a crime, sins, he's gossiped or lied or misrepresented you, you know, he's committing adultery or he's getting drunk every weekend or whatever it is, they're not crimes in the eyes of our world. They're sins in the eyes of God, they're wrong, but they're not crimes. So if you know somebody is being unfaithful in their marriage, don't ring the police. They won't do anything. Not a crime. A person's sexual behaviour in their own private rooms is their business as far as the law is concerned. That's different to a sin. See the difference? So we're talking about sin. Government sees wrong differently to how we do it. They see it as a crime, report it to the authorities. God says it is a wrong, it's a sin, it's to be dealt with this way. Uh, number three, so is it a Christian? Is it sin? Number three, <clears throat> can I overlook it? Is it something that the person has done that I just need to let it go? You've got to make that judgment call. Is this just something I've just got to take it on the chin and just... Um, Extend grace, mercy, forgiveness. God models kindness to us and he, um, 
His kindness, in fact, is to lead to repentance, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a person's glory to overlook an offence. Sometimes people do things, say things, and it's wrong. You can show in the Bible that they shouldn't have done it. Do I have to confront them every single time, or is it something I can ignore? This is the question you've got to deal with. And many times, if it is a sin, then it's something we ought not to ignore. People are not perfect, and we're not perfect. Uh, But there could be extenuating circumstances, which doesn't excuse, but helps us understand that they're going through a hard time, it's a rough day, they've got a lot going on, whatever. Um, But if you're a person, if you're wired in such a way that you're a conflict avoider, then you need to be careful you're not just simply being a coward, that you're not doing what you ought to be doing. Book of Ecclesiastes reminds us there is a time to speak and there is a time to be silent. Third question, is it something I can overlook? 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sin. So we're not covering it up and pretending it didn't happen. It's something minor. No, it's not minor. Well, then don't overlook it. Deal with it. <clears throat> um, number four, this is where it gets tough. Jesus says, brother to brother, Christian to Christian, is it a sin if I can't overlook it? Number four, am I talking about them or am I talking to them? Am I talking about them to others or am I talking to them? This is where it gets tough, isn't it? If it's about them, if I'm talking to other people, that's gossip. Even when I dress it up as a prayer request, Even if you stick it on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever else you may stick it, it's wrong, it's gossip. And we ought not to do it. And I'd put up my hand and say, guilty, done it. In fact, I I guess, like you, do it often. When somebody irritates me, I can't wait to get home and tell Rhonda. And if she's at school and I've got to wait all the afternoon, then I'll find somebody else to tell. i just got to get it off my chest. Do you do that? I do that. And I think Jesus is saying, uh, don't do that. Well, what do you do? You talk to God about it. Now, I know that sounds super spiritual. I know it sounds out of this world, but I think that's what Jesus is teaching. It's not talk to other people. It's talk to God. Sometimes you need, like you could be so hurt, so angry, you just, you do need to express it. Well, express it to God. And not in a public prayer meeting either. It's privately, alone. Lord, I'm feeling this. It's, I need your help. And don't talk about it with other people. Proverbs 26, verse 20 says, um, Fire without wood goes out, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. So we're not actually helping the situation when we, we think we are by unloading. But we're not. We're actually spreading it, the sin and the effects of it. Um, but you're like me, that whenever you do get hurt or offended, um, so it's particularly when you're the victim or you think you're the victim, that's when we cross the line. But if it's more objective, if you see someone's sin, it's not against you, then you can be more objective about it. But if you're personally involved, then we just leak emotion, <clears throat> pain and anger and frustration and inappropriate words come out to the wrong people. 
you're like me, you have a little small uh, inner defence attorney who comes to your defence every time that you've been wronged or are in the wrong, and you come up with 27 reasons why I don't need to talk to them. They won't listen. I told them this before, it's no use. They do it all the time. <clears throat> Daryl spoke a sermon on this and they're not doing it. Or they'll get mad at me. These are all excuses and justifications for us to not do what Jesus said we should do. So, is it a brother? Is it a sin? Can I overlook it? And if not, then am I talking about them or am I talking to them? Because when I talk to them, I'm putting water on the fire, not a log on the fire. I'm helping solve the situation, moving towards reconciliation. Number five, if I decide that, yep, I need to go and have a chat with this person, then can I do it one-on-one -on -one by myself? That's the number five. That's the process, and that's the way that we ought to do it. We don't confront them to crush them. We don't go in arms waving to knock them down and to prove them wrong. Jesus was the one who was punished for our sins, so that's not our goal. We're not to punish one another, not to attack one another. We're to go face to face. Jesus says, go and show him his fault. Go to them face to face. Body language, tone of voice, it's all important and helpful. Look them in the eye. Share your heart. Um, those non-verbal facial cues of language are very, very helpful. So what am I saying? Don't text it. Don't send an email. And preferably don't even do it over the phone. Unless, of course, that's the only option you've got. It's always better, face to face. But if you are going to go and do this, then you're going to need to prepare yourself first. The book of um, Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, and you've seen it, then you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, you may also be tempted. So if you see it, then you better prepare your heart. Am I spiritually right with God? Am I seeing this thing correctly? I better take the log out of my own eye before I go and have this conversation with another brother or sister. And even in the process of doing that, I may need to go to them and confess, look, I've done this too, but I've seen or heard this in you, and I'm just wanting to help. Do it gently. By all means, and absolutely pray and prepare your thoughts. What are you going to say? Um, don't fumble it. Certainly humble yourself. So, number five, can we do it privately, one-on-one? -on -one? So you go and have that conversation. If they listen to you, Jesus says, that's terrific. The process has ended. You've run back your brother. They've confessed. They acknowledge it. They're not going to do it anymore. Wonderful. Reconciliation. What if they don't? What if they don't accept what you're saying? What if they don't listen to you? What if they say, look, that's just the way I am. I'm not changing. Or they say, no, you're wrong. What can you do? Well, again, check yourself. Is this something I need to let go? Or is it serious enough for me to pursue? And it could be, Jesus says, you're going to need someone else to help. You had a go, gave it your best shot, and it hasn't worked, and you're still concerned this issue hasn't been addressed. So Jesus says, find one or two other people. I like the flexibility of that. You can take one person with you, or if it's, you know, you might need two people. Don't go find your friends. Don't go find people you've told the whole story to, and, and so they agree with you. So it's not a gang up on the person situation. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, find people who uh, have integrity and respect and they can act like both a witness, but
but they can also bring godly wisdom to bear. Even the other person respects this mediator, this person, who can maybe even give their verdict on what's going on. That's what we are to do. We are aiming at reconciliation, of bringing a brother who's gone off track back on track. That's the purpose. Now, if a word to, if you're the mediator, you're not the offended and you're not the offender, you're the person who's been called in, you're one of the two, then Proverbs 18 verse 17 is a verse that you ought to memorize and underline in your Bible. Proverbs 18, 17, which says this, The first to present his case seems right, till another comes forward and questions him. Which being translated means there are two sides to every story. And even when you've only heard one side of the story and you think that's terrible and I've heard it all and I've got the whole story, the reality is you don't have the whole story. You have that person's perception or their side of the story. So if you're a mediator, your role is to listen to both people, to hear their story from their perspective of what are the facts, what has happened. And bear in mind, this is a generalisation, but it's generally true. The person who speaks first and speaks the loudest is probably the one who has contributed significantly to this conflict because they're trying to control the story. It's not always the case, but it's often the case. So, ask probing questions. Okay? I wonder how you're doing. Can you reconcile privately? Give it a go. Didn't work? Okay. Even talk to the person. Who would you respect? Who would be good for us to go and invite um, and to come into this situation? And just so you know, if I'm booked up for the next 20 years, I won't be available for any of the... David Butterfield, David Daniels, they're available, they're here. Pastoral team. Um, a mutual, independent, respected party to both sides. Um, because you're aiming at reconciliation, not winning points. So it hasn't worked. The mediators come and the mediators say, listen, this is what I think we need to do. And the, the person who's done the wrong thing actually says... No, I don't agree with you. I'm, I'm not changing. I'm not stopping. I'm not, doing, I'm not altering my behaviour. Well, this is serious enough now. Now it's gone from a concern, brother to brother. Now it's become a charge. Now it's become a little bit more serious. It's not only am I not doing what this person says I'm, once I should do, and now I'm not doing it to this respected person who says I should also be doing it. Now this is serious. And Jesus says in order... Don't ignore this, you've got to deal with it. It's a sin and it's something that can't be overlooked. We're beyond that stage. Now it goes to the very formal stage of telling it to the church. And I think we've got to do a lot of work in figuring a process out here and maybe even put something into our documents to cover ourselves um, for legal reasons. Um, tell it to the church, the Lord Jesus says. Um, in other words, you're going to the church for some godly spiritual direction, it's what do the people of God say at this point? Um, and be very gentle with the person. We're asking for reconciliation. Uh, will you acknowledge that this is a problem? Um, don't harden your heart. Don't get self-defensive. We just want repentance. They say, yes, matter's dealt with, it's finished. Buried, forgiven, never referred to again. Not recorded in church minutes. What if the answer's no? Even to the church, the person says no. I'm not stopping. I'm continuing in what I'm doing, whatever it happens to be, gambling or adultery or whatever the sin is. No, I won't. 
I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I will not change. Well, then Jesus says, step eight, then it's time to part company. Jesus says that we are to treat this person as a Gentile and as a tax collector. We're to treat them as if they are people who are not believers, as if they're not under the authority of God's word or part of God's kingdom. They're on the outside. They're a Gentile. They haven't responded to God's word. They're a tax collector. They, they're a Jew who should be obedient, but now they have, through compromise with the world and for whatever reason, are not being a full Jew. So Jesus is saying, treat them like that. There's a range, but treat them as somebody who is on the outside, not the inside. We're not making a statement about their spirituality. We are not saying they are not Christians. They could be prodigals. Uh, they've gotten off tra track and they've gone astray and at this point in time they're not ready to repent so you need to wait and hope and pray. But they, because they walk in the direction of sin, because they're doing something wrong, because it's harming others, the church has a responsibility to remove them from communion, from their membership, from their leadership, from their ministries. They are to be treated as if they did not belong which means we have an evangelistic heart towards them you're reaching out to them to try and win them back it's not ostracizing ourselves from them and cutting them off completely this is a person who was a brother who has gotten into sin who's not giving the sin up this is the process that we're to go through and because there hasn't been reconciliation at that point, then Romans 12 verse 18 kicks in, which says, as far, um, as far as it is possible, live in peace with everyone. As far as it is possible. Okay, we don't have reconciliation. Well, then can we settle for at least peace? That we're not going to attack each other. We're not going to seek vengeance. We're not going to let bitterness grow in our hearts. We may need to keep a little bit of distance one from the other. Is it time to part ways? And sometimes it is, sadly. Number nine, last one. This is where you get beyond verse 17. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, excuse me. If two of you come together and agree on anything that you ask for, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. The two or three, he's talking about when you had that meeting and you brought the mediator in, Jesus was there. He was present. He was observing. He is analysing. And so the last point is, what does Jesus think about your behaviour? What does Jesus think about how you went through the process of trying to reconcile this person? What does Jesus think about the person who refuses to repent? Well, he certainly will sort it out one day because he is present and he is involved and he works through this. And if you're the person who is the... A guilty one you're the offender and the mediator and a Christian brother and the church has said to you that no don't do that then submit to them humble yourself take advice from other godly counselors around you don't resist and push back submit to it bearing in mind the Lord Jesus is going to sort it out one day if not in this life and certainly on judgment day we'll be called to give an account so Two things and I'm done. Are you out of steps with somebody? Have you tried to reconcile? Have you tried to reconcile this way? And if you haven't, 
then study it some more, but commit yourself to, I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to go through these nine steps, which I'll give you again in a moment. Secondly, what if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning? What if you're still on the way? You haven't made the decision to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You haven't accepted him as Saviour and his forgiveness. Well, that's the first thing you need to do. You need to be reconciled to God first and then be reconciled to others. That's the first most important thing that you can do. Number one, are they both Christians, the one you're in conflict with? Is it a sin? Can I overlook it? Am I talking about them or am I talking to them? Can I fix this privately? And if I can, can I do it face to face? I need to prepare my heart, pray, plan, and take any logs out of my own eyes to come humbly before them. If I do that and they don't respond, then what else can I do? Go find somebody else whom they respect and you respect and to come along to be a mediator, to try and help bring about reconciliation. What if that doesn't work? Well, now it's gone to the level where it's very formal and you need to tell the church. In our church, that would work by, you need to tell out the, the pastoral team. That would usually involve you telling me and then me telling the pastoral team. What if it is me? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a process, which I think is good. You need a process. Senior pastors are, besides infallible and perfect, they're sinners. <laughs> Senior pastors have, sadly, over history, also been guilty of this, that they have sinned, that they haven't repented, and that they've been responsible for division in the church. So our church has a process. If I am guilty of this in a relationship with you, then there is a process for you to follow. And that's in the documents. There are people whom you can contact and see. And it removes me from the situation and it protects you and it protects the church. And that's the way it ought to be. So, but it gets to that level, to the church level. Man, that's formal. And then if they don't listen to the church, it's time to part ways. It's time to separate. The attitude changes. Okay, now... I can't treat you like you're a brother or a Christian. You're now behaving like a non-Christian, so I have to treat you like that. I need to pray for you, evangelise, hope for the opportunity to present the gospel to you. Pray for them. And then finally, most importantly of all things, what does Jesus think about our behaviour? What does he think about the way that we've been processing this together? It's challenging, isn't it? I'm going to pray and then the team will come. During the last song... There could be a situation that you're involved in. Well, while we're standing and singing, if you'd like to come forward, then I'll be at the front. Any members of the pastoral team who are here, they could come and join me at the front. And if you would like someone to pray for you, then simply come and share what your prayer need or heart need is and we'll pray for you. Uh, Vicky and the team will lead us in the last song and then I'll come back after that and I'll close the service. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. It's difficult as it is but it's a word that's helpful for us in um, working hard on relationships with other believers. Lord, I pray that you might humble us and shape us and help us to simply be obedient to this process. Empower us by your spirit. Help us to be reconciled one to the other and help those amongst us, Lord, who aren't there yet. Help them to respond and be reconciled to you through the gospel through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.